This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Al-Bashir and other individuals were granted permission by the Sudan's High Court in April last year to be hospitalized after defense lawyer petitioned the court to allow the defendants receive medical care under supervision. That's journalist Michael Atit in Khartoum reporting on the return of former leader Omar al-Bashir to prison. Details coming up. Also, there are controversies surrounding the COP27 summit. We get an update on the U.S. midterm elections. And Zimbabwe takes another step in the fight against HIV. We'll have these stories and more on Africa News tonight. We start with the top story. The COP27 World Climate Summit continues in Cairo. VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch is covering the gathering from Istanbul. She says there are some controversies surrounding the event. She spoke with editor Kate Pondawson a short time ago about a few of them. Yes, uh, one controversy that has been in the news since this uh, conference began, and even beforehand, was about human rights for political prisoners in Egypt. Now, it should be said that Egypt says they don't have political prisoners. They are all people that are held on criminal charges. However, a lot of people will dispute this. And there's one particular prisoner, Allah Abdel Fattah, who has been in jail for most of the past decade, who has also been on a hunger strike since April, and more recently, a thirst strike as well. Uh, He's Egyptian and British, and his family, some members of his family, have actually gone to the conference to advocate for his release. What uh, protesters on the outskirts of the conference are saying is that human rights and climate justice are connected, and you can't have one without the other. And that's been a major theme of the conference, that it's not just about taking care of the, the climate, it's about taking care of the people that are being their lives are being destroyed by the climate. So Abdel Fattah was a political activist since 2011, since the Arab Spring, and then he continued to be a political activist and stage protests and speak out for democracy, and even as laws tightened in Egypt against protesting, against uh, political speech. And therefore, he's in jail, and a lot of people would like him out. The British government has also been criticized for not Uh, moving fast enough or furiously enough to demand his release. And uh, a lot of people, high-level people, President Biden included, have said they intend to uh, talk to the Egyptian government about human rights issues, specifically political prisoners. Uh, A moment ago, you mentioned U.S. President Biden. And I understand that there is a little controversy or debate over his presence at the summit. Yes, President Biden's arrival um, is wildly anticipated and should be tomorrow. And uh, he is expected to talk about uh, innovative plans to help reduce uh, emissions with American support. He's expected to talk about legislation that has been passed in the United States to reduce admission and and support climate change initiatives. Um, But one thing that he is not expected to do necessarily is um, pledge actual dollars and cents to developing countries who are who need money to recoup from climate disasters and prepare for new ones. Um, this is a large theme of this conference, gathering money from 
rich developing countries to deal with the problems that mostly affect the poorest communities in the world. And it's a sticking point. It's very difficult politically. Everyone can agree um, on a moral level that this is what should be. Rich people should pay for poor people that can't pay for themselves for climate emissions problems, problems that the rich countries made. However, on a political level and on a practical level, it's incredibly difficult. A lot of European leaders have already commented on this issue saying Europe is contributing and planning to contribute more. And in thinly veiled comments, they have said that Western countries need to step up. And when I say thinly veiled, I mean, they mean the United States needs to step up. Um, so there is expected to be a lot of pressure on the United States when Biden comes to talk about if the U.S. will will be contributing money to developing countries. That was VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch. She spoke with my colleague Kate Pondarsen from Istanbul uh, earlier today. For the latest on COP27, check out voaafrica.com and voanews.com or find our reports on your favorite social media platform. Sudanese authorities returned the ousted President Omar al-Bashir and four of his followers to Kober prison after they spent nearly a year in the hospital in the capital Khartoum. Al-Bashir is being tried along with other leaders of the Islamic movement for orchestrating a coup in 1989. Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. Under tight security, military and national security officers last night escorted the ousted Sudanese leader, his former deputy Bekri Hassan Saleh, former defense minister Abdurrahim Muhammad Hussein, leaders of the Popular Congress Ali Al-Hajj and Ibrahim Al-Sunusi to Kobar prison after they spent nearly a year at Aliya Military Hospital in Omdurman. Al-Bashir and other individuals were granted permission by the Sudan's High Court in April last year to be hospitalized after defense lawyer petitioned the court to allow the defendants receive medical care under supervision. Some Sudanese activists posted on social media video clips showing the former president appearing to be in good health visiting other patients in the army hospital. The videos sparked widespread controversy over Bashir's illness. At the same time, some civil society activists said the court was playing games, not taking seriously the criminal charges against al-Bashir. Bashir's defense lawyer, Abdul Basit Sabdurat, confirmed to South Sudan in focus this morning that his client and four other individuals were taken back to Kobar prison. He said Bashir's health condition is still unpredictable and could worsen in prison. They were informed immediately that there is an order for them to be taken back to the prison. They were not given enough time. Immediately after 30 minutes, they were taken away. Al-Bashir is being tried on charges related to the fatwa and killing demonstrators. Earlier this week, Sudanese military leader General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan strongly advised supporters of al-Bashir's now-defunct National Congress Party against getting the army involved in politics again. I am warning all those who want to tarnish the image of the army and send a special message to members of the National Congress Party and the Islamic movement that they should distance themselves from the army. Stay away from the Sudan Armed Forces. 
Abu Bakr Abdul Razik, a member of the Islamic Popular Congress Party, says al-Burhans appear to be under serious pressure from the international community to allow a civilian-led government to move forward. He says sending Bashir and his allies back to Kobar prison is al-Burhans attempt to win the confidence of the international community and Sudanese citizens. I believe Al-Burhan is facing a lot of pressure, especially from the Quartet Group and the United States, in addition to the head of the UN in Sudan, Volker Perth, and the U.S. ambassador to Sudan, who have been making a lot of political moves in the country in recent days. Sudanese political analyst Muhammad Abdullah with a book says al-Bashir's return to prison is part of the warning by al-Burhan for Islamists to stay away from the army. This is an indirect message to those who are reaching out to him in recent days over a political compromise through the army. I think the decision is timely given the current political situation in Sudan. Al-Bashir faces five charges of crimes against humanity, two charges of war crimes, and three charges of genocide in the International Criminal Court. The charges related to allegations of murder, extermination, forcible transfer, torture, and attacks on the civil population, including pillaging and rape committed between 2003 and 2008. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum. A senior United States official says next month's U.S.-Africa summit will be an opportunity to help boost investment on the continent and benefit communities from the Kenyan capital Nairobi, Ruben Chama, reports. The U.S. Special Presidential Coordinator for Global Infrastructure and Energy Security, Amos Oxstein, says the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit will provide a platform for U.S. companies interested in growing on the continent. There's no doubt that we would like to see a competition that drives our partnership upwards. A competition that enables choice for African countries to choose what kind of companies they want to do business with. Are these companies that are going to be adhering to international standards of labor and transparency or not? Will these companies leave five years later, 10 years later, a better social fabric behind them or not? U.S. President Joe Biden will host leaders from across Africa in Washington, D.C., December 13th through the 15th for the summit. One topic will be energy security. Oxstein told reporters via a virtual briefing that as nations shift from fossil fuels to renewable energy, African countries have an opportunity to benefit and connect more people to electricity. Many of those areas that are needed for the supply chains of energy security of 21st century clean energy are in developing countries, whether it's the metals or the rare earths or it's the processing facilities and countries specifically in Africa have a tremendous amount to contribute into this new economy where we're creating a whole new supply chain system that Africa can become not just a participant in, but a leader in. He also discussed the U.S. government's aims to deliver quality, sustainable projects to close the infrastructure gap in low- and middle-income countries. One area was in telecommunications speed. If you compare 2G to 3G, it was a huge step up in electronics 
and connectivity. But if you compare three to 5G, it is a whole world of difference. And if countries are not able to connect themselves to what the internet world will look like in five years, then the gap of the connected countries to the non-connected countries will have consequences as we go forward. So the idea is to replace, upgrade, and in some cases build from scratch. On health, the U.S. official said it is important that African countries have the manufacturing capacity to produce critical supplies. We need to have learned the lessons from the pandemic and make sure that the next time, and there will be a next time, that we have a global pandemic or a health crisis, that there's manufacturing of medicine and vaccines and antivirals that takes place in Africa, not just elsewhere for Africa, so that African people don't have to wait until the rest of the world is ready to share those kinds of medications. And we're already working on establishing those kinds of facilities. White House officials say the summit will demonstrate the United States' enduring commitment to Africa and will underscore the importance of U.S.-Africa relations and increased cooperation on shared global priorities. Robin Chama, VOA News, Nairobi. Over the coming weeks, VOA will be covering the run-up to the U.S.-Africa Leaders' Summit. You can follow the news on voaafrica.com. Talks between the Ethiopian government and the representatives of the country's Tigray region continue in Nairobi. The Associated Press says the meetings had been expected to end Wednesday, but were extended as the two sides discuss the disarmament of Tigrayan forces. Last week, the two agreed to a permanent cessation of hostilities, which would also see a resumption of telecommunications, banking and other services to Tigray. The deal would also allow humanitarian aid into the region. According to the Associated Press, Ethiopia's lead negotiator in the agreement says aid will be allowed to reach Tigray by the end of the week or the middle of next week. You're listening to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Control of the U.S. Congress was still undecided Wednesday as vote counting continued in several key Senate and House races across the nation. With some expected Republican victories failing to happen, Democrats still could narrowly hold on to power. VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson reports on what's next when neither party has a commanding majority. U.S. President Joe Biden still does not know if he will work with a Democratic-controlled Congress for the next two years, but he is already claiming victory. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. Historically, U.S. presidents have seen major losses for their party in midterm elections. But Democrats won tough re-election races in places like the Virginia suburbs of Washington, D.C., preventing Republicans from securing a significant majority in the U.S. House. Republican Representative Kevin McCarthy will still likely be the next Speaker of the House. Republicans will work with anyone who's willing to join us to deliver this new direction that Americans have demanded. But analysts say his agenda will be limited by managing Trump-endorsed members of Congress. American University's Garrett Martin.
Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for Kevin McCarthy to be able to maintain cohesion because let's say in the, in the case which is now becoming more plausible that it might be a tiny majority, single digits, um, that requires a real skill in any circumstance to be able to keep that caucus you know, united. There were also unexpectedly close Senate results nationwide, including a significant win in the northeastern state of Pennsylvania. John Fetterman beating Republican candidate Dr. Mehmet Oz to keep the possibility of a Democratic Senate majority alive. Protecting a woman's right to choose. Analysts say those priorities will be difficult to pass if Democrats only have a tie-breaking vote from Vice President Kamala Harris. American University's Amy Dacey. The concern is that some of the issues that people entrusted, you know, these uh, candidates and what they were running on are not going to be actually reflected um, in the day-to-day. For the second time in two years, Georgia voters could potentially decide control of the U.S. Senate in a special runoff election between Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock and Republican candidate Herschel Walker. Some Georgia voters say it's important not to give a mandate to either party. Georgia voter Betsy Nenick. I think we just need to get back to middle of the road. Um, You know, I think we've gone too, too far left, too far toward special interests. And they're also aware of the costs of shifting power from one party to another. Georgia voter Heather Packer. It feels like as soon as we get something going really good, we flip-flop and go the other way, and it's just been a back and forth, seems like, forever. So, um, But it is what it is. You know, that's democracy. The final balance of power may not be known until December 6th, when voters will choose between Warnock and Walker. Katherine Gibson, BOA News, Atlanta, Georgia. Zimbabwe is the first country in Africa to approve the use of a long-acting injectable drug to prevent HIV. The announcement comes after the U.S. and Australia also gave the new medication the green light. From Harare, reporter Kuzazanwashi has more. The new drug is called Cabotegravar or Kabla for short. It's a form of PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis which can reduce the chances of infection. The Ministry of Health spokesperson says, since its inception, PrEP was available in the form of a pill that needed to be taken daily. Approval of Kebla means that PrEP can now be offered as an injection that can be administered monthly. This thus increases the available choices and options for persons who use PrEP exposure prophylaxis. Tinashe Rufuadzo is the Director of Programs, Management and Government with the Global Network of Young People Living with HIV, also known as Y Plus Global. The decision by the Medicines Control Authority of Zimbabwe to approve the CAB LA as an HIV prevention method is lauded by the communities of young people in all our diversity globally. 
Kabele joins the Depifrin ring as the only long-term HIV prevention methods available with minimal and well-tolerated side effects and are highly effective in reducing the risk of HIV accusation. The Depifrin intervaginal ring, also known as DPV-VR, is an HIV prevention option for women that has had similar success as Kebler. The ring lasts 28 days before it can be replaced. Michael Guasira is the editor of Health Times, a local online publication that covers health issues extensively. He gives an update from the Zimbabwe Population-Based HIV Impact Assessment, or ZIMFIA. Right now, our current HIV prevalence stands at 12.9% as of the 2020 Zimfia survey that was conducted in Zimbabwe, which means we have approximately about 1.23 million people, adults, that is, uh, living with HIV, that is as of 2020. Rufu hopes the new drug will gain wide acceptance. We hope that all other African countries can follow suit and be intentional in providing more HIV prevention options for young people in all our diversity to make informed choices. We remain hopeful that the same momentum will be retained and Kabele made available, accessible, affordable to all who need it when they need it. Kwasira echoes Rufuwazo's positive view on the new drug. He says that oral medications are usually taken on a daily basis, but they have attracted social stigma and also fatigue for patients, leading individuals to sometimes forget to take their daily dose. Now, there is an answer to that problem. For VOA, this is Kudzai Jinawashi from Harare. A Kenyan court today dropped a $60 million corruption case against Deputy President Rigat Gachagua, saying there was insufficient evidence. He and other accused colleagues denied the charges. Reuters News says the magistrate of the anti-corruption court, however, warned the defendants that they could be re-arrested in the future if investigators find more evidence. In an earlier case in July, the court ordered Gachagua to pay back over 200 million shillings or nearly 2 million U.S. dollars occurred through corruption. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Adrias Rigas, thanks for choosing The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. 
whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM station Saturdays and Sundays at 1500 and 2000 UTC. Hello, I'm Carol Castiel, host of Press Conference USA, VOA's newsmaker interview program. Join us each Saturday and Sunday when we talk with authors, analysts, and policymakers who provide fresh insight on topics ranging from U.S. politics and foreign policy to science, culture, and global health. You can listen to Press Conference USA on the radio or online at voanews.com slash PCUSA. While you're visiting our website, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. We'd also love to hear from you. Just send an email to PCUSA at VOANews.com or connect with us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Carol Castiel VOA or on Twitter at Carol Castiel VOA. That's Press Conference USA every Saturday and Sunday 